Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to Sex and Couples Therapy with a Happy Ending Therapist. I am Donna Harris-Richards. I'm an LICSW and CST, that stands for Licensed Independent Clinical Social Worker and Certified Sex Therapist. And today I'm here with my producer, Vicki, and we are going to talk to you about sex and couples therapy and what to expect if you're getting started or thinking about it. So lots of times um, I get calls from couples for the most part, um, you know, looking to work on issues they're having in their relationships. And the way that I think about couples therapy or sex therapy is that it's an opportunity to change how we think, whether it's about relationships, about sexuality, for greater happiness, joy, and pleasure. Um, certainly couples therapy is, is that, and sex therapy is similar in that it helps us manage the anxiety that is a barrier to greater pleasure. And as we all know, there's really no course for this kind of thing offered in school growing up, so folks come to me for on-the-job training, so to speak, I like to call it. Um, I think of it as a, a process in achieving a whole full life well-lived. So I have a kind of a, a holistic approach, if you will. Um, and it's a really interesting process. Uh, it's the average for couples to meet their goals, whether they are coming in to talk about sex, communication, trust. I see lots of folks around infidelity, um, you know, division of labor in the home, different takes on parenting, family and in-laws. But the average amount of sessions is about 16 usually. So I like people to know that there's an end in sight uh, because their time and money is, you know, valuable. Um, and I don't want them to think it goes on and on forever. So I try to come from an ethical standpoint and let them know that right off the bat. With sex therapy, it's even less. It can be anywhere from, say, you know, just a session or two or a few to maybe eight or so. Now, Donna, is are there couples or individuals that come in and it might take longer than 16 sessions? Yes, for sure. Are there certain circumstances around that? Yeah, for sure. That's a great question, Vicki. Um, oftentimes when uh, there are histories of trauma uh, with an individual within a coupling um, or if a couple is dealing with illness, disability, chronic health conditions, um, also, if things keep changing, you know, it, it may be that a, a couple does well and they achieve the goal that they set when they come in with, say, you know, improved communication or trust. Uh, and then perhaps some at some point later, months later or something down the road happens, a new stressor, they might come back. Um, so it, it's sort of... Um, it, it, there's an arc of therapy where we reach an endpoint because we want to identify the goals to begin with so we know the trajectory. Uh, but in the end, yes, it can go on. Uh, I do have couples I've been seeing for years, and it's just kind of a way of supporting them, uh, holding their hands as they go through a variety of, of stressors and problems. And all that stuff is normal. You know, I think of it like the stormy seas. You know, we can't hold back the, the storms. We can't hold back the waves, but we can get better at managing them. You know, a lot of times uh, I see folks and they're coming in and they want to, for example, I'll just pick this out of a hat. You know, there's infidelity that's occurred. Um, 
and it's a painful, painful process oftentimes. Um, but I do, I try to, uh, um, keep them focused on the goal, which is that we learn, you know, the, in relationships, we have a beginning and a middle and an end in a way. Uh, I don't like to think about the end, but we, in the beginning, uh, we have limerence, we have falling in love. Um, and the relationship is, is homeostatic. If you will, we experience a homeostasis in that, the way that it's operating is acceptable until it's just not acceptable anymore. And couples usually come in when they're in that crisis phase, when they're kind of in that middle phase where the things that they had settled for, they're not happy with anymore. And oftentimes they're thinking the relationship is over and it's not. It's actually just an opportunity to begin to look at how the relationship can be better, uh, how the functioning can be better, what they've learned from some of these crises um, and that's that's really the second phase that that they're coming in. And I think of it almost like the metamorphosis of a butterfly in that, you know, you, you have the initial little creature that then gets into the cocoon. And in that cocoon phase is the process where we are transforming so that the relationship becomes that butterfly. That's awesome. Um, so when couples come to you for a session and they come into your office and it's this wonderful warm and welcoming environment, how does it actually work once they are in front of you? Mm, okay. So usually they'll call me up on the phone and say, hi, we have a problem <laughs> and we need to work on it. Um, so I will, well, right now, actually in COVID-19, everything is actually being done online. So folks should feel free um, to, to be calling for couples and sex therapy because it works very well doing video conferencing. So the system is a little different now, but basically it's the same. They have an intake form to fill out, um, which is a number of pages, which is essentially just all about confidentiality and consent. They fill all that stuff out. If they have insurance, they would call my billing company to talk to them about what kind of insurance they have. If not, and they're paying out of pocket, then, um, I take the credit card over the phone so that um, they can pay in that way. Um, and then once all the paperwork is filled out, uh, we get to talking. And I'm, I'm sort of doing what I call a bio-psycho-social-sexual assessment. So I'm really looking. That's a word. I know. <laughs> it's a long one, I know. So when I went to graduate school for social work, it was a biopsychosocial assessment. But now that I'm a certified sex therapist and I'm thinking about really the whole of the individual, including sexuality, because that's such an important part of us as humans, um, you know, I'm doing that biopsychosocial sexual assessment, which is really looking at the whole of a person's experience from the time that they went from being, you know, pre-adolescent to adolescent, um, you know, their formative years, uh, the average age for folks in, in, well, actually the average age internationally for people having a sexual experience the first time is 16. So I want to know those things. Um, I always ask them, I, I ask for their consent, if it's okay to to ask them certain questions, if they feel comfortable answering, great. If not, they always can opt out and say, no, I'm not comfortable answering that. That's, you know, the, the process with the therapist is a metaphor for the relationship. Consent is key. Right. Um, so then we talk about just lots of stuff. If I'm able to get around to it, I'd like to take a personal sex history, which includes that kind of thing. Um, you know, um, uh, sexual um, behaviors or experiences, things that formed and shaped the way people think about sex. You know, for women, there's often this way of thinking that, that you know, being a good girl, uh, how does that impact how uh, women see themselves, see themselves in relationship, behaviors, fidelity? Um, 
you know, for men, it's a different operation. Um, there's not so much of the good boy thing, uh, but there, there's uh, lots of stuff around um, utility and, you know, purpose and how does a man see himself as a husband, his role as a husband, his role as a father, if there are children. Um, it's just really interesting, interesting stuff. That's awesome. Um, and so when um, people come in for either sex therapy or couples therapy, do they do they ever come in individually and then together? Do they always start together and then sometimes they split out? How does that work? So my mission with couples, um, and that's a great question because I do have a couples therapy agreement. And my mission with couples is to begin to create a collaboration in the way I would like them to have their relationship, which is um, openness, uh, honesty, very kind, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. and, and to be relating to each other, like, like you would to your friend or your colleague. So you wouldn't tell your friend or your colleague, you know, about your sex life, but with your partner, um, you want to be able to be as authentic, as vulnerable as possible. And what that means is that as the therapist, I am letting them know that when they come in and they sit down with me, I want to meet with them for every session together. Um, right. Every now and again, I'll meet with each one individually if I see the need. Um, but for the most part, I'm meeting with both people together each time. And that's an opportunity for the couple. It's what I really love, what's really exciting and wonderful is when I hear one partner say, wow, I never knew that about you. Um, or isn't it amazing? Just yesterday, I was working with a couple and they said, um, the wife said, you know, I know this might sound really weird, but I feel like I'm still getting to know him after 25 years. And I said, that's perfect. That's exactly what you want. You want to continue to get your, to know your partner because as human beings, we're, we're constantly changing and growing. Right. Um, and so if you're feeling like you're still getting to know them at 25 years, I think that's thrilling. Because, That's amazing. Yeah, because it's part of the passion and, and the joy and the pleasure that we should be deriving from our relationship. So I don't know if that answers your question, Vicki. You, you kind of asked no, me what, you know, what happens when they actually come in and sit down. So we actually go through my couples therapy agreement. And one of the really important parts of the agreement is this idea that I am a human. And um, especially at 59 years old, my memory is not as good as it used to be. So I am not going to keep secrets. Essentially, if, if I see one partner and they tell me something and they say, don't tell my partner, they already know that that's not going to happen. I'm not tattling mm. on one partner or the other. Um, I am helping them to understand that if they have a secret and they don't want to tell it, um, couples therapy stops at that point. You know, if they have a secret that I think is important to increasing uh, their pleasure or their joy or their functionality, then um, unless they opt to um, disclose that secret information, um, I can go no further because I can't do that for them and I can't make those decisions for them. So there's this process, we call it in, in, in psychiatry, psychology, psychotherapy, there's this process of what they call differentiation versus enmeshment. And that's something that really undergirds therapy in a very helpful way for us therapists in that, you know, when we're kids and we're growing up, you know, children are to be seen and not heard, right? Right. In some families. Um, but that is not the, so, so I want to help couples fight against that within the, the relationship. I want them to be seen. I want them to feel that they can be seen and heard um, and they can be respected for that and they can be loved for that. 
Um, you know, and there's a lot of um, anxiety, which we're going to talk about, I think, in our next podcast. Are we not? We are. Yeah, there's a lot of anxiety that comes up for people around that. And this also relates to sex therapy, too. So I don't want to forget to talk about sex therapy because that's so important. So men will come in oftentimes to talk about erectile dysfunction, um, uh, premature ejaculation, uh, things that are happening to them that are, again, a barrier to their pleasure, their sexual pleasure. Women will talk about issues they're having with with orgasm. Um, you know, sometimes they're having uh, pain, dyspareunia. Um, vaginismus, etc. When when there's pain involved, that that's when I refer people out because that's really a physiological issue and that's not anything I deal with. In you know, sex and couples therapy is talking. It's talk therapy. Uh, no clothing comes off. There's nothing weird that goes on in my office. It's very a very safe environment. I should say that from the get go, where people are really just learning how to talk to each other differently. They have take home exercises where they touch each other. Um, you know, I I have something called sensate focus that sex therapists uh, give to couples to take home to work with, um, which is a mindful pleasure practice, which is really fun. Um, it can be very anxiety provoking, uh, but but that's the key to success is understanding that fear is a is a natural and important emotion. Um, and then on top of fear gets layered, you know, worry and stress, and then that can become anxiety and, and unmanaged anxiety can actually become panic. So we want to make sure to help people um, figure out how to manage their anxiety better. And especially in this world, you know, it's relevant right now to talk about the novel coronavirus or COVID-19, right? So we're all in this together, uh, which is actually, we'll probably have to do another podcast, Vicki, on that, <laughs> around how, <laughs> how therapists can help clients when we're kind of in the same boat with our clients now. Right. You know. Right. I mean, I feel, I feel like with everything that's happening right now in the world, now more than ever is the time that people should be using those tools that are available to them to talk to people through telehealth or, mm. you know, kind of really start to look at what's going on because otherwise they'll just go crazy, won't they? Well, they won't go crazy, but they won't be very happy. Um, <laughs> so, you know, the basic stuff like self-care is so important, you know, getting enough rest, getting up and taking a shower. If, if you're lucky enough to be working right now, which, you know, we're both very lucky to be working right now, which is great. Um, you know, making sure to have a, a routine for yourself working from home. If you're not figuring out ways to set up structure for yourself so that you do still feel like you have utility and, you know, a purpose um, and uh, all of the other stuff, getting physical activity, eating really good food, nutrition, fruits, vegetables, et cetera. Um, and all, all that stuff we can do to help ourselves. Having a hobby, social connection is key. You know, all the sort of common sense stuff that that we forget about is even more important now. And of course, as a sex therapist, I tell people, you know, if they're in the same house together with your partner, you know, have pleasure, have joy. The focus isn't so much as a sex therapist on what people might think. It's not so much on getting the strong erection or, you know, having the ultimate orgasm. It's really just focusing on pleasure, focusing on what feels good, you know, Consent, again, is always very important, um, making sure that it's okay with your partner that you're touching um, or you're being intimate. Um, if you don't have a partner, self-touch. Uh, I'd like to talk to people about, about making sure that, especially for women, um, you know, knowing your bodies, get familiar with your body, know what feels good for yourself, and then to be able to communicate that to your partner is so important. And I feel like talking 
about, hold on, how do I want to phrase this? I feel like these are topics that are difficult for people to talk about. So especially Mm -hmm. if they're having a hard time with it, they might feel uncomfortable reaching out to a therapist. They might not think it's normal. They might be a little afraid, Mm -hmm. but I think overcoming that fear is a massive part of reaching that ultimate happiness in their lives. Yes. Good point. Yeah. It's that fear uh, that is that is the the door, and if we can open that door and understand that courage is having the fear but doing it anyway, um, that's how people get better at managing conflict, right? So there are five things that I like to talk with folks about, five elements that as we practice them more and more and more, the relationships get better. I mean, I myself have been married 21 years, and my Partner and I have been practicing this for a long time. Um, and actually, I got into this line of work because I did it myself and I see that it works. Um, and those five elements that we can all work on for the best relationship are the following. Um, being authentic, taking risks. Uh, the third one is, is being vulnerable. Not easy, I know. And the fourth and the fifth ones for couples are are so important. Developing strong interpersonal communication. Again, I know it takes practice. Um, and ultimately developing comfort in managing conflict. So what I say to my couples, and this is so important, it just came up yesterday with a couple. It is important to argue. Please argue. I do not want couples to wait until next week to talk about things with Donna. I want you to be talking about it between sessions because I want to know when they come back in how it went. Um, You know, did they resolve it? Did they partly resolve it? Is it still hanging there in the air? You know, one of the things um, that happens for couples, heterosexual couples, is the woman usually wants to come to couples therapy to improve things and her husband, partner, man um, doesn't want to. So it usually takes a year or two before they show up together. Um, and so at that point, the problems are pretty entrenched. And so, you know, my job is, it can be a little bit of heavy lifting in trying to, you know, resolve the things that have been sitting there for a long time. But my point being that once they get there, they're opening the door to beginning, um, to resolve or manage their conflict in a new way. You know, if people shut down, there's the defense criticism uh, attack cycle. That's a very normal thing that couples do. Um, so I want them to to say what it is that is important to them, but understand that, um, you know, they're not always, each person's not always going to win. Uh, there, there are a few ideas, actually, I try to talk about with couples when they first come in, like uh, the win-win. So, so I love the win-win. It's, it's this idea that win-win works better than compromise. It's the red house, yellow house example. Did I tell you about this, Vicki, ever? No, what's that? So let's say she wants the house painted yellow and he wants the house painted red. Compromise would be painting it orange. And then nobody gets what they want. Yeah. Right. Right. So they have to figure out how they're going to manage that conflict. You know, somebody has to win. It's either going to get painted yellow or it's going to get painted red or maybe together they decide they both love blue. Who knows? I don't know. But in the end, whoever wins, the partner that didn't win um, really needs to shift how they think. This is narrative therapy. Shift the story we tell ourselves. Oftentimes we tell ourselves if we didn't win, we lost. Well, not really. It's a win for the team. It's a win for the couple. And then the next time the other person can win. So maybe they get to pick the interior 
color, or they get to pick the family car, or whatever the big decision might be, or where they go on vacation, etc. Um, you know, the win-win is better than compromise. So that's one idea that I talk with with couples. Um, another idea is the idea of 60-40, which is if we're getting at least kind of 60% of what we want in the relationship, we're doing good. 40% we kind of have to kiss off. You know, we think we're supposed to get 100. And this goes back to history. And, and there's just a lot around um, how comfortable we are today. So because we are so comfortable and we are no longer uh, marrying for survival, Although interestingly, in COVID-19, you know, it's kind of a brave new world. And I'm reminded quite often of why people did marry 250, 300 years ago before the Industrial Revolution. Um, you know, Lincoln's parents lived in a log cabin with a dirt floor. Uh, people married then because somebody was really nice and they lived in your neighborhood and you could make babies with them to help you work the farm. Today, you know, we're marrying because we are uh, interested in um, having kind of, uh, compassion, uh, a companionship, uh, you know, love romance. We're not marrying anymore just for economic stability and social cohesion. Um, these ideas come from Esther Perel, whom I'm a big fan of, if you've ever read any of her material. Um, you know, she talks about how we have such, and so does Eli Finkel, a lot of writers out there talk about how we have such high expectations for our marriages today, um, uh, because we are self-actualized you know, we can go to the grocery store and get food. We're not hunting. You know, we don't have to go out there and gather berries and, and you know, bring back water. We, you know, it's so easy. So we have a lot of time on our hands for self-actualizing. You know, if you've ever done therapy, you know about Albert Maslow and his, his hierarchy of needs. You know, it's nowadays we're, we're pretty much at the top looking for personal satisfaction. But my job is to help people to see themselves as part of the whole with the whole being the relationship, not just the individual within it. So I've said a mouthful. I don't know if I'm making sense. I hope so. <laughs> no, you're making great sense. Oh you're making great sense. All of this stuff is great. So there's this quote by Rumi, the love poet, um, ancient love poet, who said, if all you can do is crawl, start crawling. And the reason this quote is relevant is that love is about action, not just about words. So, you know, I'm saying here that it's talk therapy and I'm helping couples communicate and talk. Um, but the other piece that's important is I help couples make agreements um, and, and working on follow through. Um, and, and, you know, if agreements need to change, then having them kind of talk about that um, and being as open as they can. Um, and... You know, again, to, to your point, Vicki, about fear, um, you know, there's anxiety, um, there's individual anxiety and relational anxiety. And of course, I'm going to talk more about that in the next podcast. Um, but that's the thing about managing the anxiety and helping people do that. And, and part of doing that is actually creating a pleasurable experience for them in the therapy process. I mean, yes, of course, they're going to talk, couples talk about things that bother them and that are problems. But when they come in, the first thing I actually have them do is express appreciation to each other, practice expressing gratefulness, um, just thinking about something that you really so appreciate about your partner, whether it's a character trait or that they took out the trash yesterday when they said they would, or, you know, she made you a beautiful dinner um, whatever it is, putting the focus on those positive things, there's this intersection between neuro 
uh, neurology and psychiatry today, which is that the more ne positive neurons we have in our neuropathways, the happier we are. Um, and especially when that's done relationally, it really makes the relationship better. Um, you know, if, if we can have four out of five interactions be positive, that's an 80% rate of positivity that, that really shores up a couple and, and buoys them sort of for their, for their whole, the whole time that they are together, um, if they like. Um, so I, I have had many couples, I, there, I have a lot of success, you know, even with infidelity, I would say the success rate is really high. Um, more than two thirds or three quarters of the time, even, or more in, especially in my practice, I see that when there's been an affair, couples, um, get through it and they are oftentimes grateful that it happened because it helps them to see that their marriage, uh, can be better. You know, Esther Perel refers to uh, marriage version one, um, and then version two or, or, you know, their second marriage in effect. And, um, yeah, I just, I think it's just a wonderful thing when people come because you, you have to be brave. You have to be brave to open that door and walk through it. And again, it can be, it can be a really, really nice process, um, where men are actually getting to plan sex, you know, uh, with their wives. Um, you know, and, and of course I see, uh, same sex couples. Um, and, and that's often a thing too. One, one partner may be a lower desire when it comes to sexuality, one's higher desire. So helping them manage how to have more frequency of intimacy. Um, we talk about initiation rates, like one person initiating more makes the other one feel more wanted and desired. It's just a lot of really nice stuff to talk about and open up about. So if people are looking for more information, about sex and couples therapy or are interested in starting sex and couples therapy, what should they do? Well, they should feel free to call me. I would be happy to speak to them. I am at 508-990-9909. Um, they can find that on my website too. They can go to my website, which is www.sexandcouplestherapy.com, just like it sounds. They can also follow and message me on my Instagram at the happy ending therapist. And they can also like my page on Facebook, which is the Sex and Couples Therapist. So remember folks to always make time for pleasure, play, and passion. And I want to thank Vicki, my producer, for being here with me today. And thank all you guys in the back, Paul, Justin, uh, and hope to talk to you soon. <laughs>